Get everything done up here before I gotta before I get going. Matthew chapter one. We'll be looking at verses eighteen through twenty-five, finishing the chapter out this morning. I got too many electronics up here. What it is? <coughs> Title this morning: The Birth of the Savior. The birth of the Savior. Last week we looked at the ancestry of the King. Now the birth of the Savior. As we begin our march through uh, the the Gospel of Matthew here, uh, only one week into the book and we've learned a great deal of God's absolute grace that played a key role in bringing the Savior to this earth. Uh, Things, uh, what what some people say, the stars align just perfectly. Well, God... Is the one that done the aligning here, uh, and he per- he perfectly arranged uh, when he wanted uh, his son to be born, where he wanted his son to be born, wh- of whom he wanted his son to be born. All this was done uh, by design, by God's design. Uh, uh, Satan didn't hinder his uh, his efforts one bit. God knew exactly what he was doing. He he had implied he had this in place at, before the foundations of the world. He knew what was going to happen, and as much as Satan tried to interfere, he could not overcome the will of God. Amen for that. And we see here that God's grace dripped off the pages of Matthew in chapter one, as we've seen person after person in the uh, that should not have ever been in the lineage of the Lord's uh, uh, heritage there. Yet by God's grace, He allowed them there. He allowed them there, all right? Uh, it's a humble reminder of how you and I, though we aren't worthy of His grace, His love, or His compassion, yet we receive them all upon us receiving Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. We get all those benefits. And today we're going to look at the remainder of this chapter and we're going to see exactly what transpired as Mary was pregnant with our Lord. And also we're going to look at Joseph's reaction and his decision upon what to do with this surprising news. Now, these verses uh, contain many truths that uh, we too can apply in our own lives, things that we, we will study this morning that's going to help us to understand uh, how we need to act and react to life's, uh, life's uh, questions and life's uh, happenings, and how we must uh, uh, go to God as we'll see that Joseph did uh, when these things happen in our lives. Let's go ahead and we'll pray and we'll get started this morning. Father, I ask for your strength this morning. I ask for your help, for your guidance in, in, in teaching and preaching your word this morning. Father, I, I know what you've given me this morning is what you want me to give them. And I pray, Father, that I will, without, uh, uh, without fault or failure, Give them what's needed uh, uh, in the service this morning. Father, I ask that the Holy Spirit be upon me to preach your word. And I ask, Lord, that the people's hearts and minds would be open to receive your word this morning. Father, bless as only you can in Christ's name. Amen. Now this morning I've got four points I want to give you to help you uh, see what transpired around the birth of our Savior. The first point this morning is the expectancy of the mother. The expectancy of the mother. We see this in verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Here we have the wonderful birth of our Savior. Uh, This was a unique birth in that Mary had never known a man intimately. 
We know this because of Luke's gospel also, uh, his account in chapter 1, verse 27. I won't read that one. I've got some others I want to read you from uh, Luke's account this morning, but I won't read that one. But this was a unique birth in the fact that she was, uh, she will conceive supernaturally. This was a supernatural birth or conception here. Listen to the words of Luke's account uh, as he goes into more detail about this truth here. Uh, chapter 1, verse starting in verse 31. You don't have to turn there. I've got these written down. And, and we'll start there. And we also look at verse 34 and 35. Now, this is the, an angel visiting Mary here is what's going on. Okay, uh, Giving her news of how God is going to bless her. And he says here in verse 31 of Luke, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son... And shall call his name Jesus. Alright. Verse 34. Dropping down to verse 34 here. He says. uh, Or it says here that. Then Mary. uh, Then said Mary unto the angel. How shall this be. Seeing I know not a man. She knew how you could get pregnant. And she knew that she hadn't done anything. uh, Of a like before. So here she does ask a sincere. Sincere question. Listen to the angel's response. Verse 35 of Luke 1. He says, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And there you have it. The Son of God was birthed by a woman in order to become human. Listen to this. He was birth or born by a woman in order to be born a human. But he could not be born of uh, of a son of man or else he would have been born in sin. He could not be born the son of man or else he could have been born or he would have been born in sin. He had to be born of a woman because he needed to be human but he could not have been conceived by man or else he would have had the sin nature in him. Okay? That's important to know that. The marvelous thing about the virgin birth of our Lord is that we are to accept it by simple faith. And I want to tell you this morning, I've never had a problem with accepting the virgin birth of Christ. It's it's never occurred to me to doubt it. I've never thought about, well, this can't be true. This can't be so. For whatever reason, thank God, I've never questioned the the virgin birth. And there's no reason to. Why? Because the Bible says it. Look, you've got to have a final authority in your life. And for me, for my life, the final authority is right here. It ends right here. It's not the the Constitution of the United States. It's not what what anybody else says. It's what does say at the Word of God. If that says it, that settles it. It settles it. Before we move on, I want us to examine that little phrase in the middle of the text there where he says, when as his mother, Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together. Joseph and Mary were engaged. All right. They were engaged. They were not married, which is what Matthew meant when he said before they came together. John Phillips states this in his uh, commentary. He says, quote, in the Jewish order of marriage, there were three stages. First came what we would call the engagement. Second came the betrothal. The formal ratification of the marriage agreement. The betrothal lasted a year. 
was completely binding and enabled the engaged couple to get to know one another. The couple, however, were not given the marital rights of man and wife until the third stage, the actual marriage. Okay? End quote there. So we know that Mary and Joseph were at the second stage of their, uh, their order of marriage uh, at this point. This meant that they were legally committed with each other and that it would actually take a writing of divorce to annul the marriage at this point. At that second stage, it would ha- they would have to, in order not to get married, they would have to do a bill, a writing of divorce here, okay? Even though they weren't fully married. This brings us to point two. The enigma of the husband. The enigma of the husband. This is verse 19. It says, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. Now I'm sure that Joseph was as level-headed of a guy as they come. But any other man... uh, just as him, he couldn't, he couldn't believe exactly what Mary was telling him, that Mary was pregnant and that she did not cheat on him. He couldn't, he couldn't gather that. Now, Matthew calls him her husband because they were already espoused to be together, okay? They weren't actually married yet, but they were espoused there, okay? Matthew also calls him a just man. He calls him a just man. He was the kind of man who wanted to do the right thing. Where are they at today? So little, so, so few, or far between a, a, a common man and a just man. We got a, we got a lot of, I hate to say, I hate to call those guys up in Washington men, but we got a, we got a lot of people that, that claim to be men, but they're not just men. We need some just men today. As of Joseph... If he had to do anything hard, as far as uh, uh, hard, had to make decisions on hard things, he would do it as quietly as he could. He didn't want to draw attention. As we see here, he didn't want to draw attention to Mary and the situation that was at hand. He didn't want to put her into open shame. He didn't want to put her into open shame. Good example. My wife, just before we left, showed me, what was that, a tweet? A tweet about a guy talking about his pastor. And I looked at it and I said, that's about as distasteful as you can get. If he has a problem with his pastor and he can't get it resolved with him, he needs to go with his deacon board. Get with his deacon board about it. He don't need to be tweeting uh, what he thinks about his pastor uh, over, the, over Twitter. That's just distasteful. That, that's that's, that's not being a just man. That's not being uh, quiet in your business there. That's being childish is what that's being. That's sad. Now, I pray for that pastor. Anyway, back to the message here. Uh, in these verses, we can see several things. Uh, first, he knew the law. Joseph knew the law. He knew his options. Okay, He knew that he could have her stoned to death if he chose to. That was a law. That was a Mosaic law. Alright? But he also had another option. And that was that of writing a bill of divorce, which I mentioned earlier. That was his other option. We have to remember that the second stage of the Jewish order of marriage was binding 
just as binding as the marriage. And to depart from that relationship would require such a bill. We have to remember that also that Joseph loved Mary. He loved her. As I'm sure that Mary loved Joseph. They trusted each other. And though Joseph may not have believed, or he may have believed Mary, uh, that, that she wasn't unfaithful to him, he just couldn't, couldn't believe the story that she gave him. It's got to be something different from what you said, Mary. I, I, I believe you're, you're faithful to him. I, I believe that, but something has happened. I don't understand it. I just can't comprehend what you're telling me. He must have felt that something was amiss. Something was kind of off. But he, he wasn't quick to make decisions. Let's look on and uh, that brings us to point three here. The earnest of the father. The earnest of the father. He's, this is verses 20 through 23. He says, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord... Excuse, yeah, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee, marry thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son... And they shall call his name Emmanuel, being interpreted, which being interpreted is God with us. Now, as we know from Luke's gospel, Mary, she goes away to her cousin's house and stays with her for about three months. Matthew doesn't mention that, but Luke does. She, she leaves town and she goes, and, and which is good. Her, her, her cousin Mary, uh, Elizabeth uh, was a uh, godly woman along with her husband. She could have got some guidance there about what to do and what not. Okay? But it's apparent that Joseph here, back in Matthew here, that he was bathing his concerns in prayer. He wasn't being, he wasn't going to make an a, a, a irrational decision. He was, he was hesitant about making that decision. He wanted, he wanted to wait and make sure he made the right one. This is his future here. Matthew Henry states that when we are most quiet and composed, we are in the best frame to receive the notices of the divine will. End quote. Joseph's actions uh, speak to us loudly in that he was in love with Mary. If he, if he didn't love Mary, he would have just either had her stoned or, or wrote that bill of divorce pretty quickly and, and, got, and left town. But he was in love with Mary. He loved her. He was concerned for her. It was at this time, while he was alone, praying and thinking about what he should do, that the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, uh, reassuring him that everything was going to be all right. The angel also reminded Joseph of his royal lineage here. He says, Thou son of David. He's reminding him of his royal lineage. He's reminding him that, uh, that, that, that Joseph, hey, look, uh, you remember the prophecy that there is a coming ruler among, uh, among you guys, among the Jews, uh, through the line of David. 
Do you remember that, David? Uh, do you remember that, Joseph? Excuse me. He, he, he's saying, he's kind of reminding him, hey, look, do you remember your history? You know the law. You remember also that David was promised there will be a ruler that comes. No one's sitting on the throne in Israel right now, but there will be a ruler come. The angel of the Lord is kind of reminding him of the prophecy. Joseph, no doubt, knew that he was in that kingly line. And Mary, too. But I'm sure he just needed to be reminded of it. Verse 22, we see that God named the child. God named the child. One commentator says this. I like what he says here. Listen. Quote, It was the privilege of Jewish parents to name their children. The very first enterprise given to humanity in the garden was the scientific task of taxonomy. If I said that right. That is the task of naming the animals and in that task of naming the superior names the subordinate. So Adam and Eve were naming the animals. They were the superior, okay? God gave to Adam and Eve the responsibility uh, and authority to name everything in the animal kingdom. Yet throughout the Old Testament, when a child was born into specific historical and redemptive purposes, God took away the privilege from the parent and named the child for himself, indicating that, that the child belonged to him, end quote. We see that in the New Testament with John the Baptist. We looked at the name Jesus last week and we saw that it means Savior. The Hebrew name for Savior is Joshua. Although we don't call our Savior Joshua, do we? We call him Jesus. Verse 22, we see that yet another prophecy is being fulfilled with this name given. Isaiah speaks of, this, of the birth of our Lord over in his book, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. He tells us, Matthew gives us a kind of a paraphrase of, of that verse, but the verse itself says, quote, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He then de describes the plain and simple life that our Lord would live while here on this earth. We see this fulfilled also by the two humble parents that were given him to raise. Or to raise him, rather. We can almost see the tears in Joseph's eyes uh, as the words fall off the lips of the angel and gladness covers face and joy flowing from his heart when he's told to go ahead and marry her. He would not have to divorce his love. He would not have to do what he dreaded to do. While he thought on these things, that's when God spoke to him. While he was in his, his quiet place, God spoke to him. We need a quiet place as Christians. We need, we need time to speak to God and time of solitude to allow God to speak to us. So many Christians are missing that in their lives. They, they feel as if there's so much stuff that they've got to get done that they don't have time for God in prayer and listening. When the very opposite is true, we're, we live in such a world that is so busy and so fast-paced today that we need extra time with God. We need extra time of solitude to get alone with God and find out what His will is for us. 
But Joseph could get married now. Not only that, but he would be uh, helping to raise the, the child of God. It may be that the gladness on his face disappeared momentarily as he thought of the grave responsibility of what he would be in charge of. You know, he, he's thinking about all the blessings, you know, being able to get married. And he's like, wait a minute. I'm going to be raising the child of God, the son of God. Can you imagine the impact that would, that would kind of just fill up against you? But regardless, the God who met him while he slept would also be the same God who would provide for him what he needed to complete the job that he was to do. And that's something that you and I need to remember all the days of our lives. Is that what God expects from His children, He provides the means for them to do it. What God expects from His children, He provides the means for them to do it. Some people, God expects them to, to sing. I mean, sing for Him. And they say, well, I can't do that. I can't stand up in front of someone and sing. Good. Then you need to rely on God. You're the one that God's looking for. You're going to have to rely on Him in order to do it. God may call someone to preach or the pastor. Well, I can't do that. I can't stand up in front of somebody and preach. I can't, I can't preach His Word. I'm not, I'm not that smart. Well, good. That means you'll have to rely on Him. Too many people are doing things such as that, but they're not relying on God. They're doing it in their own strength. And there are failures at it. Just remember, whatever task that God gives us, now, it could be anything. It could be anything. Just rely on God to give us the strength and the knowledge and the wisdom that we need to complete that task. He will give it. Now for our last point. Point number four, the essential birth of the Savior. The essential birth of the of the Savior. This is verses 24 and 25. Listen. He says, Then Joseph, being raised from the sleep, being raised from sleep, did the as, did as the angel excuse me, let me start that verse over. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, in these verses, we see the complete obedience of Joseph. He was given several commands by God in a dream. And each one, each of these tasks was completed as God would expected him to do. He kept the engagement of Mary. He took her as his wife and was, uh, was a gentleman to her and not knowing her until after the birth of her son. One might ask, when were they married? Before or after the, the, the birth? Well, Joseph, being a just man, wouldn't have thought to have defiled his fiancée. So from the way the verse reads, where it says, And knew her not till she brought forth her firstborn son, I think it implies that they were married before he was born. Then we see that he called the child's name Jesus. Why do you think he called his name Jesus? He was told to, wasn't he? He was told to. He obeyed. Hey, look, you say, what's in a name? Why couldn't he call him something else? 
Because that's what God told him to call him. Hey, even the simplest things that God says to do or not to do from his word, even the simplest things, the ones that we just don't think that seem that important, just simply obey it. Simply obey it. Well, I don't understand it. What's in a name? Hey, it doesn't matter whether we understand it or not. What matters is if we obey it or not. Our kids, especially when they're real young, they have no idea what, why we say, don't go out there and play in that road. Don't you dare play in that street. Why? It's, it's a beautiful place for us to be out there and play and, you know, and kick and, and run around and not to... Uh, not to uh, uh, Step in the grass or anything? Why, why can't we play, in the, play out in the street? Well, you and I know. But as kids, a lot of, a lot of times, kids just don't understand. You're going to get hit by a car. Those simple things that God tells us to do or He tells us not to do, simply obey it. We may not ever understand why He would want us to do it or not do it while we're here on this earth. But one day we'll know. One day we'll understand it. Just simply obey This has been a wonderful account of the birth of Christ, the birth of our Savior. And as we've seen last week, Satan tried so hard to foil the plans of God. He tried by corrupting the line of David, but yet he never fully accomplished that task. God's will be done regardless of any man's attempt. This morning, we saw the dilemma of the Jewish couple that was chosen to serve as mother and stepfather of our Lord. And today, Matthew revealed to us the birth of Jesus and why it is He was born. He says, to save His people from their sins. To save His people from their sins. That's why Christ came to this earth. The fact that His birth, His life, His death, all brought about the way of salvation to a lost world. And it should provoke us to earnestly consider His offer of salvation. This morning, many people were in churches just like this one here. Many people sitting in churches, sitting in pews where the pastor is preaching God's Word. They sung wonderful hymns like we did this morning. Beautiful hymns. And they've heard the preaching of God's Word. They've heard the Gospel message preached. And many are being asked the same question which you're about to be asked right now. And that is, have you ever considered the fact that the Bible tells you that you're a sinner? The Bible says that we're sinners. Christ came to save His people from their sins. Who are the sinners? We are. Christ came to save us. Have you ever considered the fact that the Bible says that you are a sinner? Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. That word sin means to miss the mark. To miss the mark. Our sin causes us to miss the mark of God's glory. Therefore, we have come short of the glory of God. God has a measure for you and I that we must meet in order to go to heaven. And on our own glory, the glory that we have, have ourselves, we come short of that mark. We can't hit. We miss that mark. Sin makes us miss that mark. Man's glory fell when Adam sinned in the garden. Romans 5.12 says this, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. 
You are a sinner because your parents are sinners. Do you hear me? My children are sinners because I'm a sinner, because their mom is a sinner. I'm a sinner because both my parents were sinners. So from the very moment you were born, you had the curse of sin. You've had it ever since you've been born. It's been passed down to you. And from the very moment that you understood right from wrong, you became accountable for that sin. With sin comes a wage that we earn. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We earn that wage for the sin that we commit. That wage is death, and with it comes everlasting punishment in hell. So if we were to receive the payment that we earn for the sins that we commit throughout our life, we would die and be eternally punished in hell. But thank the Lord that he did not leave us with this. The writer says that I've been reading here uh, of Romans uh, that there is a way out. Did you catch the rest of that verse in Romans 6.23? He says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God made a way of escape. And that way is the only way of escape. The only way. There is no other way of escape but through Christ. His Son, that is the gift of God. His Son has already paid the price for your redemption. He took the wages of sin upon Himself on Calvary. And if you so choose, you can receive His payment for your sin. God says in His Word, chapter, uh, Romans chapter 10, verse uh, 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 11, uh, 10 and 11, 9 and 10, excuse me, verse 9 and 10. He says, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus, excuse me, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The greatest news of all the world is that God has made a way in which a sinner can be redeemed. Amen and amen. With this good news, one might would ask, who has the access to this redemption then? If God has made a way, who's got the access to it? Who can, who can be saved? If God's made the way, am I available? Is it available to me? Can I be saved? Some would ask, is it for the Jews only? Some would ask, well, is it now just for the Gentiles since they rejected Christ? Is it just for the Gentiles now? Or some would say, uh, is it just for the white only? Or is it just for the blacks only? Well, I want to let God answer that question. Listen to what he says. Romans 10, verse 13. He says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What does that sound like to you? Who is whosoever? I'm in that group. You're in that group. Whosoever is whosoever. It's whosoever. You, me, anyone who's willing to ask God to forgive them of their sin and receive Christ as their Savior shall be saved. Your nationality does not matter. Your skin color does not matter. Your head knowledge does not matter. Your financial situation does not matter. All that matters is that you repent of your sin, meaning turn from it, and receive Christ as your Savior. Amen? 
This morning, I don't know your heart. Whether or not you've received Christ or not, I don't know. Only you and the Lord knows. But let me tell you, if you never received Christ as your Savior, then you haven't ever truly lived. There is so much that God is offering you with salvation that you've only come to Him. If you'd only come to Him. The greatest thing about salvation is the new relationship that you have with God the Father. Yes, we do have a home in heaven, and that's a, that's a great benefit also, but that's just a byproduct of the relationship. You hear me? We're not saved so we can go to heaven. That's just a byproduct. Our salvation, God gave us salvation first and foremost, is so that we can have a great relationship with Him. And upon having that great relationship, you're going to live with Him one day. This morning, has there ever been a time in your life that you realize that you're a sinner, that you're not right with God, and that you've reached out to Him asking for His forgiveness and you received His Son as your personal Lord and Savior. Has there ever been a time in your life? If not, why not make that choice right now? Let's stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We just finished the first chapter of Matthew. We saw why Christ came that to save His people from their sins. This morning, the most important thing, the most important decision that you and I could ever make is that of salvation. I asked you a question this morning that has there ever been a time that you realize that you're a sinner, that you're on your way to hell, has there ever been a time that you, you realize these things and you realize that Christ did come and He did die for you to take away your sins and that you received Him as your Lord and Savior? If you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior before, would you let me know by a simple raising your hand just let it down real quickly? Anyone? All right. This morning, I trust that your hearts are in line with God's Word. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the many blessings that you've given us.